In late May of 1802, Roman workmen were excavating near the catacombs of St. Priscilla when they uncovered a tomb which had been sealed by three tiles. The three tiles had been painted with Christian symbols. There was a lily, that's a symbol of virginity, and there was a palm frond, it's a symbol of martyrdom. So they knew they had uncovered the tomb of a virgin martyr. Other symbols on the tiles indicated the different tortures to which this virgin martyr had been subjected while she was showing her love for Christ. There was a scourge, an anchor, two arrows pointing in opposite directions, and a symbol of an ordeal by flaming arrows, which is a third arrow with a curved line. And the three tiles were also painted with a somewhat puzzling inscription. On one of the tiles, the first tile said Lumina, second tile said Pax Te, and third tile said Kumfi. After some head scratching, the workmen realized that three tiles were out of order, and we now know the reason for this. As it turns out, because the tiles were different sizes, and the opening carved for the tomb was somewhat uneven, they, if they would pl were placed in the correct order, there would have been a gap. The tomb would have been sealed. So the biggest tile, which should have been in the last place, had to be moved over into the front place in order to seal the tomb. At any rate, once the tiles were correctly arranged, they read Pox Tecum Philomena, which means peace be with thee, Philomena. These workmen had just uncovered the tomb of St. Philomena. When they removed the three tiles, there laying inside the tomb were her bones and also a broken clay flask. Why was there a clay flask in the tomb of this virgin martyr? Actually, it's very common to find a flask made out of crystal or glass or clay in the tomb of their martyrs because a flask was used to capture their blood and then it was buried along with them. At any rate, the sides of this broken clay flask were actually covered with a layer of dry blood. And of course, this blood, the blood of a virgin martyr, is also a holy relic. And so the workman took a glass face and very carefully began removing the tiny particles of dried blood from the inside of the broken shards of the clay flask and dropped the blood particles into the glass vase. And as they did that, the workman and other witnesses there witnessed the first of St. Philomena's innumerable marvels. They were amazed to see that as these little brownish dried particles of blood fell into the glass face, their appearance marvelously changed. From a dark brown color, suddenly they appeared to be small rubies or little emeralds or diamonds or little pieces of gold or silver. Early 1900s, Father Paulo Sullivan described this phenomenon, quote, this phenomenon continues to the pre present day, by the way, quote, the blood is not in a liquid state, but quite dry and in appearance resembles ashes. It is preserved in a small crystal vase, which allows the visitor to see it. I had the happiness of examining this priceless treasure as many as 30 or 40 times. Each time, without fail, I saw the blood change most marvelously, and the transformation was so clear and distinct as not to allow room for the smallest doubt or misconception. Precious stones, rubies and emeralds, pieces of gold and particles of silver appeared mingled with the blood. One might shake the reliquary, and again the precious stones appeared. Not always in the same way, but still clearly and distinctly. Close quote. At any rate, her relics were taken to a treasury there in Rome, and they remained there for a few more years until they were awarded to a small town near Naples, Mugnano. According to Joan Carol Cruz, her relics were first taken from Rome to Naples, where the bones were joined together with wire and then wrapped in cloth. 
And then they were placed inside a paper mache figure of St. Philomena, which was then placed inside a glass shrine. Now, if you've been to Europe, uh, or you see pictures of, of, of uh, like, for example, even in St. Peter's Basilica, you have some altars like that. But if you see pictures of shrines, typically, either under the altar, like where we have the paintings of the Last Supper, or right above the altar, like where the statues are, they'll put these shrines. They'll be glass-sided, and you'll have a fi- you'll have the figure of the saint. The relics will be in a, in a wax. It'll either be wax or papier-mâché figure. Unless it's an incorrupt, like when you're looking at St. Bernadette, that's not a papier-mâché figure. That's St. Bernadette laying there, you know, she's an incorrupt. But typically, they'll take the bones, wrap them in precious cloth, and put them in a figure and then clothe it. If it's a priest, they'll put them in the vestments and, and what have you. Um, in Germany, at some of the places where we went to in Munich when I, when I was just over there praying, they have another way. You see this occasionally, too, where they'll take the relics, the, the skeleton will be there, but then they wrap it in real precious, like uh, like a golden lace. So you can actually see the bones, but it's the skeleton all laying there. So sometimes they'll put them in a figure that looks like the saint. Sometimes they'll wrap them like that, but it's very typical. They put the relics in a shrine, either above the altar to the saint or right under the altar itself, so you can look through and, and, and see, and that's, those are the relics of the saint. Anyway, uh, in Naples, they fixed up St. Philomena in a glass shrine, but the artist made a, a catastrophe out of the whole thing. First off, the papier-mâché figure was really ugly. Quote, it was far from being a work of art. The face was a morbid white color, the lips were thick, and there's a grimace noticeable about the mouth, close quote. So the figure itself was ugly, but that's not all. The glass-sided shrine wasn't big enough. Here they have this five-foot papier-mâché figure, but they made too small of a a shrine. So she's kind of sitting up in the thing on on this couch, and then they had to actually bend her knees to fit it in there. This is a papier-mâché figure, so they got to really awkwardly... uh, She's reclining on this couch, and they have to bend up her knees, and then they squish her into the shrine. So it was kind of cheesy the way they they put it together, but there it was. And they begin the journey from Naples to Magnano. Now, there's a whole series of marvelous events on on the way, but... We don't have time for that today. After the shrine arrived at the church and they placed it above the altar, quote, the right arm was elevated and stretched out holding arrows, which were now aimed towards the feet instead of the heart where they had formerly pointed. So this papier-mâché figure starts changing position. The mouth, now smiling, was slightly open to reveal the teeth, and the color and the shape of the face changed into one of appealing beauty, close quote. Now, the bishop's seals had not been broken. When they seal them in, into one of these shrines, there's a series of ribbons that go around them with a big wax seal. The key was left in Naples. He couldn't unlock it. The seals are on the whole thing. The workman comes. They, they, they got everybody under oath. We haven't done anything to this. I didn't paint her like that, and so forth. So they had nothing to do with it. There's other things that happened with the statue. In 1841, for example, there were a group of pilgrims praying there before the shrine of St. Philomena. And the papier-mâché, she turns to the group of pilgrims and smiles and then turns back and then under oath. Anyway, a skeptical Italian woman had heard of the miraculous opening of this papier-mâché figure's eyes and so forth, quote, brazenly approached the shrine one day. Sarcastically, she asked the saint how she could open her eyes when there were none beneath the closed eyelids. The statue of the saint opened its eyes and looked contemptuously and severely at the woman and then sweetly closed its eyes, leaving the woman confused and contrite, close quote. Father O'Sullivan, quote, During my own stay in Mugnano, I saw the statue changing color very frequently, passing from pale to light blush and again to dark red. The lips were sometimes compressed and sometimes opened, close quote. There's a lot of other marvels associated with her statue, but time doesn't uh, permit us to get into them here. What about her miracles? 
the week after St. Filomena's relics arrived in Mugnano, they had a psalm mask of thanksgiving. At the very moment of the elevation, there was a great miracle. There was a 10-year-old girl who had been carried to Mass by her widowed mother. She was carried because since birth she had been so severely crippled that she could neither stand nor walk. And then suddenly, in the midst of Mass, this little girl stands up and walks over to the shrine to thank St. Philomena for curing her. Now this is a town where pretty much everybody knew each other, so you can imagine the excitement. And if you've ever seen a crowd of folks from southern Italy, we're talking excitement. That's not an insult. They're just excitable. I love it over there, but they, they, they're, they're, they're hot-blooded. Anyway, it only increased that night at Vespers. So everybody's all worked up, and they come to Vespers. The crowd is, by this time the church is so packed, the crowd spilled out on the street. You can't hardly move. And the priest is up there preaching a sermon, and a woman brings her two-year-old daughter who's been blinded by the smallpox. And she pushes and shoves and forces her way all the way through the crowd, all the way up to the front. She gets right up to the shrine there, and there's a, a votive... Uh, lamp burning there. Now ours are made out of wax, but over there they have they're olive oil. So there's this oil lamp burning there, and she she uh, takes some of that oil and anoints her daughter's eyes. The sermon's going on. Well, the minute she anoints her daughter's eyes, she can see, and so everybody starts shouting and carrying on till the priest can't hear himself think. Nobody knows what you know. It just turns into a total uproar until finally the priest gets the child in his arms and shows him the crowd. This is two major miracles just in the first day that they're having a psalm Thanksgiving that she come there. So we're talking, uh, people are excited. It's, it's really, and this is the way St. Philomena is. Later on, there's a wealthy lawyer laying dying in town there. And uh, he's dying. He's, he's, he's lost his mind right then. And there he is. And so the, the, his wife asked St. Philomena to grant that her husband would be able to receive the sacraments before he died. And she made a vow in her husband's name that if St. Philomena came through and made sure her husband got the last rites before he died, that they would erect a marble altar at her shrine, you know, instead of like a wood altar here. You know, that's a lot of money. Anyway, so at the instant she made the vow, he recovered the use of his senses. So you get a priest, give him the last rites. As soon as he finishes his confession, just like that, he's completely healed. So they, they follow through on their vow. We've got to keep our vows. They hire a, a well-known and highly skilled craftsman from Naples. He's famous for building beautiful altars to build this marble altar. While he's installing the altar, he's using a chisel to fit it into place. But a crack comes open on the, on the altar. So he builds a metal brace to support the slab, but the crack grew and grew till it, it was nearly a finger width, and it ran all, almost the whole length of the altar, right down the middle of the altar. And it's a great big, wide crack. So he fills the crack with cement, but as the cement hardens, it changes color, and that makes the crack even more noticeable, and worse yet, the surface isn't smooth. Well, you know, as a priest, you don't want to be sitting your a chalice with the precious blood on an altar with a big, you know, wowie right in the middle of it. You can tip over the, the precious blood. So anyway, there's a whole bunch of people present while he's working on it, and so this poor craftsman realized not only is the altar a mess, his whole reputation, really his livelihood is at stake. So he kneels down, because St. Philomena's right there, and asks for assistance. And when he stands up, the altar's solid. The darkened cement line is there, but it's no longer cement. It's part of the marble, and it looks just like a, a, a piece of dark marble vein running right through this altar. This miraculous altar is still visible. There's a plaque there with the witness testimonies and whatnot. We could go on for hours with the miracles, but time doesn't permit that. What about her life? What we know about St. Philomena's life was actually revealed by herself in 1833 to three different people. A good priest, 
a pious artist of known good morals, and a nun. So they're each in different parts of Italy. Each one of them was completely unknown to the other. And each one of the stories is in complete agreement, although St. Philomena revealed far more details to the nun. And you can read that story to get a lot more than what I'm going to tell you right here. In December of 1833, the Holy Office gave permission to print these stories. Okay, so in short, St. Philomena was martyred during the persecution of Diocletian. Now, this is the emperor known for having put together St. Sebastian. In fact, as you know, he sentenced him to death twice because the first time didn't work. He also put to death his own wife, St. Serena, and his own daughter. Why? Because they become Catholic. And this was a very efficient emperor, you know, Catholicism illegal. You know, you're out of here. So he, he martyred his own uh, wife and daughter. Anyway, Diocletian uh, wanted then uh, to take St. Philomena as his wife, but she refused his hand because she'd made a vile perpetual virginity for the love of our Lord. All right, in his rage then, Diocletian has her scourged, and then uh, she miraculously recovers from that overnight. Then he orders that she have an anchor tied around her neck and that she be thrown into the Tiber River there in Rome. And so she was. But as she's thrown into the Tiber River, angels, the people, the people watch this going on. She goes on and, and the anchor cord breaks as she's hitting the water and something, which are the, the angels that she saw, lifts her up and sets her on the bank. Uh, so he has her tied up and shot full of arrow, arrows. And just like St. Sebastian, she recovered from that. So he ordered flaming arrows, you know, maybe flaming arrows. So it will get through whatever this, this magic that's going on. Flaming arrows be shot at her. And this one, they all started to go in different directions. And a number of them came flying back and killed some of the archers. Well, some of the other archers got religion right then. They got the gift of the faith, as well as did a number of the people that were watching, you know. So there's all of a sudden becoming all kinds of conversions out of it. So finally, he has her head chopped off. Many saints have a great devotion to St. Philomena. Venerable Pauline Jericho, Blessed Bartolomeo, St. John Neumann, our incorrupt in Philly, Blessed Peter Julian Amar, St. Peter Chanel, St. Anthony Mary Claret, St. Francis Xavier Carini, Blessed Anna Maria Taigi, the Mother Superior and the personal friend of St. Philippine Shane, St. Madeline Sophie Barat, and of course the, the Holy Curie of ours, St. John Maria Vianney. The Venerable Pauline Jericho, who herself had been miraculously cured of a deadly illness by St. Philomena. It was, a, it was, it was a, a miracle that Gregory XVI totally astonished the Pope over, over the miracle. She had been cured of this deadly illness by St. Philomena, and she's the one that told the cure all about St. Philomena, and then she gave him a relic. And this was a match made in heaven. I mean, the cure fell absolutely in love with St. Philomena. He had an, a side altar built to her in his church. He uh, dedicated himself by a vow to St. Philomena. She appeared to him. She spoke with him. She granted everything in answer to his prayers. He had continually encouraged devotion to St. Philomena, and whenever a miracle would occur in ours, the curé would say, it's St. Philomena. I wish she would work her miracles away from here. Besides the saints, a whole host of popes have had a great devotion to her. Leo XII, Gregory the Sixteenth, he gave her the title the Wonder Worker of the Nineteenth Century. Leo the Thirteenth and Saint Pius the Tenth. Blessed Pius the Ninth had an especially strong devotion to Saint Philomena. He was as a child he had epilepsy, but his mother's prayers to Saint Philomena resulted in a miraculous cure from epilepsy. Later on, he was an archbishop and he was dying of a deadly illness when Saint Philomena came through and cured him miraculously of that. So when he became Pope, he made a personal pilgrimage as the Pope to the shrine at Mugnano and offered Mass at her altar, venerated her relics, 
after his death, he, his pectoral cross, now that's the cross, the crucifix that the Pope, or the cross that the Pope wears around his neck, that Pope, the cross that Blessed Pius IX wore was sent to Bignano to be hung around the neck of the relics of St. Philomena. So this paper mache statue of St. Philomena is wearing the pectoral cross of Blessed Pius IX. St. Philomena is a saint for the saints. She's a saint for the popes. Most of all, she's a saint for the simple people, all the rest of us. She's a patroness of youth, especially babies and children. She's a consoler of afflicted mothers who invoke her for material or spiritual aid for their children. She's a solace of those who are afflicted, suffering, sick, or imprisoned. She's the protectress of young married couples. She's invoked for the conversion of sinners and for the return of people to the sacraments. She assists priests in their work. Nothing is too large or too small for St. Philomena. Put her image or her statue on your family altar. Build a shrine to her. Turn to her in all your needs. Nothing is too large or too small for St. Philomena. Let's close today with a quote from the Holy Carry of ours. Quote, St. Philomena has great power with God, and she has, moreover, a kind heart. Let us pray to her with confidence. Her virginity and generosity embracing her heroic martyrdom have rendered her so agreeable to God that he will never refuse her anything that she asks for us. Close quote. St. Philomena has great power with God. He will never refuse her anything that she asks for us.